to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Today we continue a study uh, that we started at the beginning of the year and it's been transforming for me and my uh, particular uh, experience and hopefully it has been for you. The title of this study is, has been Victory, Our New Normal. And what we have discovered is that God longs for us to experience victory in our life. And even as I say that, the, the frustration is that so many of us don't. Even as we're talking about the, the challenges that we're facing this week, historically, there are many of you that have been depressed and discouraged when you look around rather than walking in the victory that God has for us. And so what we have done is we have been looking at the book of Joshua and, and we have looked as, as Joshua uh, under the direction of the Lord leads the nation of Israel into their fullness, into the promised land. And we have discovered that there's a pattern. God tells them to do very specific things. And, and God is never haphazard. Everything he tells us to do is on purpose and for a reason. And in the book of Joshua, God tells the nation of Israel to do these very specific things. And I believe that they really provide for us a roadmap of how we too can move into fullness. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, that you might live life fully. God wants us to experience life to the fullest. And as we follow these patterns, we begin to discover how we can embrace that truth for our life. Well, we've come in our study to a place where the nation of Israel in chapter 3 has now crossed over the, the Jordan and has stepped foot now into that promised land. For 40 years, they had longed for this day, wandering in the wilderness, and now this day has finally arrived. And in chapter 4, we find God's instructions to Joshua with regard to the first steps that they are to take. Now, what's amazing as we look at chapter 4 is that God leads the nation of Israel to enter into the promised land at a very vulnerable place. You, you would think he would pick somewhere else that was a little safer, but, but the place that God allows them to cross is not really the safest place for them to be. It's a wide open area and God leads them there. And even though we will discover in chapter four that, that there are 40,000 of those uh, of millions who, who cross over, who are in battle array and, and, and are ready for battle, that is not the first thing that God tells them to do. God brings them to a vulnerable place in an open space and says to them, the first thing that you're going to do is worship. The first thing you're going to do is stop and remember and establish a memorial for this moment. I'm done something in your life that is so critical you can't forget it. In fact, what I've just done is, become, is going to become a foundation upon which the remainder of your life will be built. You, It is critical that you establish this memorial so that you will not forget. 
Because there are going to be moments in your life where you're going to lose hope. There are going to be moments in your life where you feel that you have been beaten down and, and victory is not something that we can talk about because I am not the victor. I, I am the victim. And he says in, in those moments, it's critical that you remember what just happened in this moment. And so today we look at a passage that really talks about the power of a monument. Years, years ago, I, I preached a message really that focused on a July the 4th uh, on our nation. And I walked around some of the monuments that we have in our capital. And, and, and we read the scripture from the monuments that are in our capital and the importance of those monuments to help us remember and help us focus. But today I want to look at this amazing passage of scripture and how we can apply it to our life that we find in Joshua chapter four. Now, for our time's sake, I'm gonna read just the first four verses, stop and talk for a minute, and then we'll look at the, the, the remainder of the chapter together. I, I intention, I, I really was going to read the whole chapter, but I think I'll just uh, read these first uh, uh, seven verses and we'll stop. Let's look at it together. Now, now, when all the nation, Joshua chapter four, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Now, this wasn't an hour, an hour and a half. This, this, could have, this was a long process. It was days of millions of people crossing over the Jordan. And so when they had crossed over, Joshua was saying, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one, from, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever." Now, Joshua does something else in the next few verses. He also goes himself to the middle of that water or, or of that dry bed of the Jordan, and he takes 12 stones, and he erects in the middle of the Jordan another monument. Now, we're not told that God tells him to do that. Certainly, God might have told him to do that. He might have done it on his own. It wasn't something that God was objecting to, but he established another monument in the center of that body of water, that wall of water that was forever growing as they stood there with the Ark of the Covenant. Once he had done that, then we jump down to verse 10, and he instructs them to come ashore. Now, the people 
came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and encamped at Gilgal on the eastern side of Jericho. These 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in a time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until the cross, until you had crossed just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. And all the people of the earth and that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, fascinating part of our story. The nation of Israel finally goes across and God had instructed Joshua to identify 12 men, one from each of the tribes to go into the middle of the Jordan where the priests were standing with the ark as the waters were being held back. And you remember I told you that what God does, as they walked into the Jordan River, the waters stopped. The water that was here recedes all the way down. The, dry, the ground becomes dry. But this wall, because it is continuing to come from the mountain ranges and the snow melt, continues to grow even as the people are crossing over. And so these 12 men come back as everybody crosses. All eyes are on them now as they are spread out in that area and they come and they take these 12 stones. Now they don't take simply a small stone because the Bible said you are to take a stone and put it on your shoulder. They are to take a large stone and they are to bring it to the edge or to the bank of the river. Actually, they were to bring it to Gilgal. It was about an eight-mile track from the center of the river to where they would establish this monument in Gilgal. The word Gilgal literally means circle or wheel. It means heap in some uh, references. It might well be that when Joshua gets these 12 stones, that he puts them in a circle and, and there establishes a monument. And God says, I want it to be so unique and so different that every time your children come by, they will immediately recognize that this is not the normal terrain. And what does this mean? Why are these 12 stones piled up in this fashion? And you can tell them when they ask that question that God delivered you from the Jordan. Now, what I want to do in our time together today is answer that question that those children would offer as they would come and look at that monument and say, why? Why did God tell you to take these 12 stones and put them here? What is this all about? What in the world does it mean? In answer to that, I believe there are three things that you and I can discover and we can make application of into our own life. First of all, when God instructs Joshua to take these stones, the first thing I think he's communicating is this. As I answer my children and they answer as they offer the question, these stones are evidence of a lasting experience. 
The stones are to be evidence of a lasting experience. In the verses that we read toward the end of the chapter in verse 24, it says, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see what God wants is for the miracle of Jordan to have a permanent effect on the lives of every person that crossed. He didn't want that to be a moment in time. He wanted this moment to have a permanent impact on their life. This was not a miracle that God performed that he would have to do something more. God was saying this, I want this miracle to have such an impact on your life, you don't ever have to see another miracle. You won't ever have to see me do anything else in your life to know that I am God. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget what God has done because we're begging him to do something else. And God says, I don't want you to forget what I've already done. In fact, I want you to recognize that this one thing is so amazing that I don't have to do anything else to prove that I am God. I am capable of providing for you in that moment. If, if I could kind of bring it down to the bottom line, I think basically what God is saying here in, in the text is, is this. God is simply saying it is impossible. This is what I want you to know. It is impossible to encounter God and stay the same. It's impossible for you to come face to face with that kind of powerful experience with God and remain the same. And you know what I've discovered? It's impossible for us to experience God and remain the same. We find that in Scripture, don't we? When Moses encounters God at the burning bush, he leaves changed, never to be the same man that he was before. When Jacob met God at, at Bethel, his life was changed, so much so that it changed his name. You remember when, when, uh, when Saul of Tarsus encountered uh, a Christ on the road to Damascus, it so radically changed his life that he was never the same. From that moment forward, he began a ministry as Paul the apostle. It, it, it was as if God was saying, I want this moment that you walk into my fullness to mark the beginning of something. This is not the end of an era. This is the beginning of an era. You're walking into my fullness, but it's not something I just give to you. It's something that you will experience and walk in. The Apostle Paul said something very interesting in the book of Philippians. And, and it kind of speaks to this, I think, because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul makes a, a, a very interesting comment. And if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. Um, but in Philippians chapter 3, I thought I, thought I had it marked, but, uh, but I don't. And when you don't have it marked, Philippians suddenly is not in my Bible. Have you ever discovered that? Here it is. No, it is there. All right. In chapter 2, I want to look at verse 16. Paul makes this really kind of interesting statement. In fact, in verse 15, he says this of the people in, in Philippi. He says... Uh, that, that so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. He's saying, guys, I want you 
to be different. You're going to be lights in a broken, fallen, dark world. And I want you to walk with God and walk in God's power and walk in God's grace. I want you to live out your relationship with God is what he's saying. But notice what he says in the very next verse. Holding fast to the word of truth so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Now, what's amazing to me about that is Paul says this. It is you walking in victory that gives me success in ministry. You sometimes we think success is when a person comes to faith in Christ. Paul's not rejoicing that he can say, you know what? I preached the gospel and you came to faith in Jesus. And now I can stand before God and say, God, I was faithful to proclaim the truth of the gospel and this many people were saved. He said, no, the thing that will keep me from being ashamed when I stand before God is to say that I led this person to Christ and I taught them to walk in him. And they begin to live out and understand their purpose and being. Paul was saying, the thing that brings the light to my heart is that you cross over Jordan and walk in the fullness of God's victory. It's not enough that I'm saved. I've got to take that next step. And so what he is saying with this monument is, listen, this monument is evidence of a life change, but it is a continual life change that moves beyond this moment. And so he is ultimately saying that this is a genuine encounter with God that allows us to change. Our life is never the same as a result of our encounter with God. It's a reminder that it's a new beginning that God is calling us to in the victory that he provides. Secondly, though, I notice that the stones are also to be the center of our lives. In the text before us, he says, I want you to take these stones and I want you to put them in Gilgal. I want you to put them and you take them from the place where the priests are standing and put them in the center. Gilgal literally becomes, this place becomes the center for all the activity that the nation of Israel will conduct in the conquest of the promised land. They were to go and fight battles and they come back to Gilgal. They go and are victorious and they come back to Gilgal. They go and they are defeated and they come back to Gilgal. They go and they come. Gilgal becomes that home base for them. It literally becomes that, that, that uh, base camp, that opportunity to, to reboot. It becomes the base of all their activities. By telling them to go and get the stones from beneath where the priests are standing, he's literally saying, hey, I want you to get these stones from here because this is a picture to you that God is an integral part of your life, that God is involved in your life and the basic components of your life. From here, you're going to go and fight and here you're going to return. This is going to be the place where you're going to struggle in your faith. 
We, we could discover that the nation of Israel is going to go and they're going to be defeated at one point and they come back licking their wounds. And whenever we're defeated in battle, we begin to have all kinds of questions. Well, is the promise of God true? Is he faithful? What happened? We begin to question. He says, this is the place you come back to. And the thing that helps you recenter is this monument. I want you to look at this. In those moments that you have doubts, in those moments that you have questions, in those moments when you think God is not coming through. You come back to Gilgal and you look at this circle of stones and you are reminded of who he is. And then you are able to fight the fight of faith. To hold on to our faith in a world that is dark is a fight, my friend. It is a fight. We can be victorious, but the very term victorious means there's a fight involved. And we fight for our faith by holding to an understanding of what God has done in the past. We all need a place of remembering. We all need a place to remind us of God's faithfulness. We all need a place that we can go to and, and hit the reset button. Honestly, I believe that is one of the greatest values of the church. We're living in a world today where many are saying, you know what, has the church outlived its, its time? I mean, there are some of you that are watching online, there are some of you that are here. And it's a struggle, isn't it? We've kind of created an online experience that is really good. And I can listen to the word of God and, and I, I'm uninterrupted and I really do participate. I really do worship. I really do enter into that time and I feel that I'm a part of the body of Christ and I'm growing and I'm learning. I had one person say it's easier for me online to focus than it is in church. And there are a lot of us that are going through that and we're going to get to the point where we say, well, you know, maybe we don't need the church anymore. But I wonder, I wonder if the church might be that place where we can come to hit the reset button. I wonder if the church can be that place where we come and the circle of stones is there to remind us as I look around the room of, of how God has put marriages back together. Here's an example in this couple. Here is a person that, that God brought from the brink of death back to life. And, and, and I see in his testimony the, the, the grace of God. Here is a person that I know who struggled financially and, and, and with God's grace and help they were able to figure it out. Here is a person that, that is facing constant issues with their children and, and, and mental challenges and, and God's faithful. And suddenly I believe in many ways the church can become that Gilgal for us, that base camp that we come back to, that we can hit the reset button. Now the real question is why do we need that? And that might have been a question that the kids would ask when they see these circles. Well, that's to remind us of, of what God did. Well, why do we need it? Well, because we forget. And I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to forget the things that I really need to remember and remember the things I really need to forget. Sometimes I have a way of forgetting God's faithfulness and I just 
will have a little pity party and wonder if God's ever been faithful in my life. And oh my goodness, have I already forgotten all of the things that God has done in my life? The, the reason we need a memorial is because we forget. And he says, establish this memorial because I'm going to tell you something. You, and, and let me say this to you. Though it is true that the nation of Israel was not, they were not in danger of forgetting that they crossed the Jordan. That, that, that's not the danger. The danger was to forget it was God who brought them across the Jordan. You see, sometimes the danger is not in recognizing, wow, we got through that. The danger is in forgetting that God's the one that got us through that. That God was faithful in that moment. And so we need these monuments in our life, God says, so that it reminds you in the present of a thing that happened in, in, in the past and, and you can be aware the danger, as I mentioned, is not forgetting that, that I got here, but that God brought me here. This is a place of readjustment for us, if you will. It's a place to realign ourselves with the purpose and plan and power of God, as we've talked about in the last few weeks. And, and, and maybe the question that you have is, how do I do that? And, and maybe, maybe the way is that this is a place of assessment every time... Maybe every time we come to church and we sit down before we begin, we just stop for a second and say, you know, Lord, I'm here and you're here and maybe there's something you want to say and I don't want to miss that. And maybe you can ask yourself this question. Maybe you can look back over the course of your life and maybe you can assess remembering when and I'll just ask it this way when was the last time God was just really real to you when was the last time that you you honestly feel that God was man he was real he was present in that moment was it a long time ago was it recent was it yesterday was it Is he still that way? Maybe it's an opportunity for us to look at our own lives and say, you know, I used to be patient and now I'm just so irritable. There was a time when I, I was joyful, but now I'm just moody all the time. There was a time when I had peace and now my life is filled with worry. In those moments, we need to go back to Gilgal. Those are the moments to come back to the place that we remember God's faithfulness. And, and it brings us to the last point that I want you to see. He tells us in the text that the stones are to be a witness to others. You know, it's true that you cannot meet God and not be changed. If you meet God, he's going to change you. But let me also tell you this. Listen carefully. It is also impossible for other people not to notice because he so changes our heart that people around us 
notice. We have an obligation, I think, to those around us and to those that come after us. Three times in this text, he says, be ready to explain the meaning of the stones when your children ask. I think he's ultimately saying this, there must be something in our life that makes people ask questions. There needs to be something in our life that makes people ask questions. I think that's why Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're mine, is that you love each other. That you have the kind of radical love that makes everybody ask you, why are you doing that? Why do you live that way? Why do you have that attitude? Why do you have that hope? There, there, there needs to be something so different in us that other people ask. That, you know, it's amazing to me when we talk to Christians, we talk about the importance of sharing our faith, and many of you have even gone to class on how to share your faith, and we learn how to tell people that they can come to faith in Christ. And, and then the biggest hurdle that we have is how do I engage others in a conversation about spiritual things? And I think what we learn from the text before us is that we should live in such a way that they ask. And when they ask, the door is open and I have an opportunity to tell you why that is a part of my life and the congregation happens. Well, here's the key truth. The stones were the past reaching into the present. Stones represent the past that speaks into the present. It's okay to talk about the past as long as the past has impacted my present. I can talk about the good old days as long as I can talk about how they impact my life today. I've been in situations where people said, man, God worked in our church years ago. There was this revival and it was the most amazing thing that ever was. You should have been there. And I'm thinking, yeah, I should have because I don't see any evidence of it now. Is it possible that you look back to to say, boy, there was a time in my life when God did amazing things? No, the, the, God impacts our past so that it impacts our present. The past experience is the beginning of the work and it still goes on. Finally, the, the, the final thought for you today is that God tells each tribe to get their own stone. He sends somebody representing each of the 12 tribes in to get their own stone. And, and I think there's something of value for us to learn from that today, that maybe each one of us in our family need a stone. And, and so I'm gonna give you one today. On your way out, I want each family, just one in household, to pick up a stone. Now, I want you to put this in a place in your house that is conspicuous, a place that is visible, but it absolutely looks out of place. I want you to put it in a spot so that somebody would say, what, what, what's the deal with rock? And it opens the door for you to share your story of your Jordan experience. At first, I was going to tell you to take that rock home and then figure out what other thing could maybe express that moment for you and exchange the stone for that thing. But 
I've changed my mind. I think I always want you to keep the stone. And when God does something, um, and as he does in the course of the day, I, I want you to move the stone around so that if God does something, put it over by the coffee pot. So in the morning when your wife goes to get a cup of coffee uh, or the husband goes to get a cup of coffee, the stone's there and he says to you, hey, hey, what, what, what's, well, let me tell you what God did. Or when the grandkids come over, let me tell you what God did. There, there are moments in our life, I brought a Coke bottle. Um, there are numerous things that remind me of God's miracles in my life. When I first came here, and I had to hurry, when I first came here 24 years ago, it was a hard move. It was a hard move for us and our family. And, um, and we struggled the first two years that we were here. We struggled. And there were times when I just wondered if I'm where God needs me to be and wants me to be. And, but, I, but I could go back to one thing. The week we, we came and the week I said that I would accept this church as, as, as pastor, we came looking for a home. We had already looked in the area of Fort Worth. There was one particular housing area that we liked and there, was, uh, there were no houses being built at that time in that area. There was one house that was perfect for us. We loved the floor plan. We loved everything about it and where it was. Uh, and we could literally walk into the house. It was three weeks away from being completed. We were three weeks away from moving, but it was sold. It, it was to somebody else. So we walked in that home and it was like, man, this is perfect. This is the one that, that we would want, but we can't have it because it's, and so we looked all over the area and went back home and as we had been to pray about it and I just was struggling to say, God, if that's where you want us, you're, you're the one. We get a phone call from our realtor saying, hey, the house that you guys went into, that sale fell through and that house is available. It's gonna be available in three weeks. We need to move in three weeks. So every time I walk in my front door, I can say this, this, this house is a reminder that God wanted me here. But even though I had the house, I forgot. And the challenges of ministry and the questions that I began to face, I wondered, is this where God wants me to be? And we built this building. There was another church building that was here. Our old church sanctuary was here. And we had all kinds of headaches and issues with the city and other things. And it was just a, a nightmare to walk through. And, and as we were walking through it, we built a tent out in the front. We met in a tent for two years as we were building this building. And, and we were going through all that experience. And as we were going through, we were tearing this building down this old sanctuary down. We were tearing the building down. And as they began to dig under the foundation, years ago when that first church building was built, under the foundation of that building was an old Coke bottle that was kind of sticking up out of the ground. And I happened to be there when they were moving it around. I saw that Coke bottle and I thought, that's kind of crazy that somebody, when they were building that church, drank a Coke and threw that underneath the church. And they built the church on top of it. It's been there all those years. And I went and I picked up, I dug that old Coke bottle out from under that experience. And I, and I was rubbing the dirt off of the bottom of the Coke bottle. And I grew up in a little town that is obscure in Louisiana called Natchitoches, Louisiana and I scraped the bottom of this Coke bottle and it says, bottled in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And I thought, wow, okay. God, you continually give me these little bumps along the way that are rocks that I can use. And if you place these 
in prominent places around your house. Somebody's going to say, that doesn't really match the decor. What's the story with a Coke bottle? Well, let me tell you. What's the story with a rock? What's the story? Listen, God is at work in our lives, and it's not what he's done in the past. It's what he's doing now, and we're reminded of what he's done in the past so that we can trust him now as we move forward. So take a rock. Let me tell you this. This is stories from years ago. I could tell you today about a rock that happened yesterday that has to do with a passport. And it was a God thing. I don't have to go back years. You don't either. God is actively involved in our life. Don't forget that. Don't forget that and teach that to others. Live that example that'll make them ask. Not only do I have the rock, but live in such a way that they'll ask you the difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message that you have given us today. The opportunity to respond to its truth, the opportunity to be reminded of your grace and your work in our life. It may be when we're looking at the world stage today that you're just reminding us of your faithfulness in our life so that we can trust you for helping in the lives of others that are in need. Makes a difference in our prayer. So we trust you today. Help us not to forget. Help us to live our lives so that others will ask of us what's happening that we might share the truth of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.